Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kao and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. With me, as always, Cynthia Kao. Hello, Cynthia. Hey. Good to see you virtually. Virtually, Miss yeah. You. I know. I, I can't wait till all these vaccines are out and we can hang out in person. Oh, my God. Uh, do, have you gotten your vaccine yet, by the way? I got the first one, um, and it, I got some bad results from yeah. the first one, and I'm getting my second one next week. So I'm which, which one did you get? I don't get. It's the Pfizer. I didn't really have a choice, oh. so we'll see. But you know, yeah. it's better than nothing. I got the Moderna one, and the first one, it, it felt like I got punched in the arm for three days, and then yeah. uh, you know, I'm just waiting for the next one, which will be the twentieth, and I'm I I know I'm just gonna be laid out for a couple days, so. Uh, but yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting to the tail end of all this. Uh, welcome to everybody to the show. If you're new to the show, welcome. Uh, we, every week we bring in these exciting, amazing entrepreneurs that have one little extra thing in their resume and that's service to our country. And this week I'm excited because we have a fellow Navy vet and I, I'm always excited when we have Navy vets. I'm always excited when we have, you know, anybody, but, uh, Navy in particular, Bryce Reich from Harness. Welcome to the show. Hey, Josh and Cynthia. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's we're to have you. really excited you're here. Uh, you know, you have a really impressive background, and, and you and I have touched base outside of the, the podcast, so I, I kind of know your background, but for those that don't and haven't spoken to you, um, we're, we're really just going to rewind the tape and, and talk a little bit about your journey, but the first step is, what prompted you to go to the Navy? Like, why the Navy, and, and what did you do while you got when you got there? Yeah, well, the Navy, because it's the best branch, that's obvious. Thank you, uh, sir. Thank you for finally saying that. Yeah. Food uh, fight. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, no, so I actually was, I was actually on track and in getting into, I wanted to join the military uh, because of, you know, some of the structure and the benefits. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, also, I did want to serve. I had some family that served, um, but I was actually in process of going into the uh the coast guard and trying to be a rescue swimmer for them oh nice um or at least like on the rescue teams of some something you know wanted to be something cooler than just just a traditional puddle pirate but um so i went through that whole process and then i got put on a year waiting list because they weren't accepting anybody um and then uh, my brother-in-law was in the navy and and got out and asked me if i wanted to kind of check it out um so he went with me to the recruiter and and i kind of just fell in love with the, you know, the culture, the structure, and, and I highly looked up to uh, my brother-in-law and, and, you know, I was like, okay, well, if, if the Navy's spitting out people like him, you know, why the heck not? Um, so that's kind of what pushed me to join the Navy. Uh, but yeah, I joined the Navy as a, as a submariner. And then I realized halfway through boot camp that I was like, Oh no, that doesn't sound fun. Um, so I ended up being able to switch my job over to a sonar technician. So I, that's what I was doing, uh, pretty much the whole time while I was in. Well, what's interesting is, uh, you know, it, 
when you get into the military, no matter what branch you get into, I, I think there's some things that people don't expect once they get there. What was your what was the thing that surprised you right away when you got to, to boot camp, other than just getting yelled at constantly? Yeah. Um you know, I thought it was actually really interesting. So I I wasn't I've never been good at school. Um, but I've been I've I've worked my butt off like heavily and I'm very, very good at working and moving up in every position. And what surprised me was when I was going in, I was like, that's not gonna be my lifestyle. Like there's no way. I'm gonna be starting at the bottom rung and and you know, everybody else is so much more elite than me. And what actually like really surprised me was that because I think we were all on the same page of just obviously being scared and, and being just like exhausted. Um, I didn't see that there was a huge competition to try to be better than others, but more so uh, this like camaraderie that they said, you know, I want, you know, if we're on a team, yes, we want our team to be the greatest, but we also want to um, push up the person who, you know, may be more, a bit more successful or more skilled in something. And I've never experienced that. Um, and it wasn't as cutthroat as, uh, as I thought it was going to be. Um, and so that was really awesome to see, and especially as somebody who, you know, I, I'm, I'm an achiever. Uh, so it was really nice for me to be able to, to, to be in that culture. Yeah. When you, when you finished boot camp and then you got to your A school for sonar technician, um, what, what did you enjoy about that process? Because I, I think, you know, I didn't get to go to, I went to Great Lakes like everybody else does, uh, but I was an undesignated seaman. I went right to the fleet pretty much after mm. a small amount of seaman training. I went right out to the fleet. And so I went oh. from Great Lakes, Illinois, where it was, I think that that's that winter when I went through, it was like negative oh, 30 degrees cool. with the wind chill. And then I went straight to my command in the middle of Manama, Bahrain. So I went from negative, what was it? 40 something to 125 degrees. Um, Not that big of a difference. Yeah. Right. I just ripping my pea coat off as I'm getting off the airplane. But um, what was your experience like when you got into to a school? <clears throat> yeah, I think um, so. So my, my experience, I actually, cause I grew up in orange County. So my a school was actually in point Loma, San Diego. So Oh, that's convenient. I don't think I had as big of a transition. It kind of just seemed like school to me. Um, but, you know, I got to see my family. I got to see my friends. Um, I did have a lot, obviously, a lot more pride. Um, and I don't think it was like a negative pride by any means of like, you know, overzealous. But it was a lot more pride in, in, in what I was doing. And and when I'd interact with my, my friends and family, it would be a little bit different. But I think the biggest thing was, was that... You know, I, I went to that, that command to go to school for four or five months. Um, and the biggest thing was, was just the schooling itself. It was really hard. Like I said, I am not academically inclined. Um, and so I think that was actually one of the biggest, like, transitions, especially because in boot camp, there's not so much academics. It's a lot of physical or right. being motivational or how, who could be the loudest. And so I was pretty good at that. I think it was just hard to go back to the schooling and then also uh, going into, you know, I had to stay after class every day, four to five hours a night um, just to make sure I was passing. Um, did, did you have any mentorship during that time to, cause I, everybody has different learning styles and mm -hmm. I kind of feel like 
you know, when you get to that tech school portion, it can it can be a little difficult, you know, especially for people that join the military that aren't. And that, there are so many folks that I met who joined the military because they weren't academically inclined. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're not smart in any way or not hard workers, but they just they don't learn the traditional way of reading, writing, study, taking tests. You know, so did you get any kind of help or mentorship? Uh, I, I, I got some. Um, there was one, one, um, one advisor, or uh, teacher there that really kind of took me under his wing. Um, me and him had a very similar story. You know, we weren't very, you know, academically inclined, but we were the people who were going to work really hard, who were going to stay after class, who were going to do everything that we can to make sure not only did we pass, but we actually were able to apply the knowledge that we had. Um, so I did have one, um, I mean, he's a, he's a, I don't know, maybe he's a senior chief now, but he was a, he was a first class then, and then he made chief. So if he's out there, you know, chief marshal, uh, you know, helped out a lot in that process, but I don't think it was more of, I don't think it was heavy, like mentorship. I think it was just more of, he saw a little bit of himself in, 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 in me and, and, you know, whenever I needed help, he would help. Um, so not like the traditional, Hey, you know, every week I'm going to mentor you. And so. Yeah, that's great to have a somebody that, you know, sees your um, possibilities and is able to kind of take you under their wing. Mm-hmm, um, was the Navy everything you expected? Or did you kind of go in and go, oh, my gosh, this is not what I expected at all? Um, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I mean, I don't I think I went in there not really having a ton of expectations. Um. I went in there going in and, and I ended up staying, I was in Japan for four years. So I, oh, man, you poor thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Poor thing. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was in Japan for four years. So I think just in general, I think the culture shock and, and the uh, operation tempo over there is absurd. I mean, we're, we're gone 240 plus days a, a year. And then working six, seven days a week when we were in port, it was, it was not, not super sustainable. So I don't know if it was so much of a, a shock or, or of like, I expected anything else. I think I was just, you know, I was, I was in the moment, I was working hard and, and, uh, I was, you know, enjoying being in another country cause I've never traveled to another country. So. I, th- I think your experience is very similar to mine because once I got into the fleet, I got into quartermaster and there's not a whole lot you can do as a quartermaster unless you're underway. And I, w- I would suspect the same for sonar techs, right? You can work on your equipment you can tag things out, but I mean, unless you're underway, there's not a whole lot you can do as a sonar tech. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. And, and even worse, I don't know if they even have them anymore. I was an operator. I wasn't even a tech. Like, so I was yeah. a sonar technician, but there's technicians and operators and I was an operator. So I, extra didn't have like certain qualifications. So, but I, I mean, in port, that's when I just studied. I mean, I got, you know, I got my, my surface warfare pin, you know, super quick. I, I got all my qualifications and stuff. So, I, I mean, I still leveraged my time just, we were there anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely is the stuff I liked doing, which was hunting submarines. You can't do in port. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Right. When you, when you finally got to the fleet though, um, what did you enjoy about the, the the experience, and what surprised you about about the fleet versus boot camp and, and training? It's black and white. It's night and day. Yeah. It is totally different. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the camaraderie 
increased heavily. Um, but I think it almost just felt like a normal, like working office, you know, and that's not how it felt in school. Cause there's always super, like super, super military bearing, obviously a bootcamp, super, super military bearing. And that's the most important thing in both of those sectors. But at the end of the day, when you're on a ship and you're underway, yes, military bearing is absolutely 100% important, but the mission itself is more important. Um, yeah. Because you know you're you're dealing with potentially people's lives, national security stuff like that. So that was a huge huge change, and I I I think that I mean yeah. So I would say that was probably the biggest yeah you know difference. Yeah, yeah. When you when you decided, hey, this is it. I'm done. I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna transition out. What was your mindset at that point? And do you feel like that was the right point in your life that that was you were just ready to go? Yeah, I was ready to get out um, because, as you know, the bureaucracy within the military is crazy uh, making. And, and, you know, if you don't have 52 uh, collateral duties, then you're not a good sailor. Um, And for me, we were understaffed in the sonar division. Um, We were also the uh, the like number one sonar technique or sonar team. Uh, anti-submarine warfare team in Japan at the time. So we were just super busy doing work and making, doing some really cool stuff. Um, but the problem was, was that because it was so sonar focused and less ship focused, uh, you know, my, my evaluations hurt from it. And I was devastated, devastated. Um, I went up for early promotion every single time. And, uh, once it got up to like a certain level, they knocked it all the way, almost all the way down. Mm. Um, and so I was ready to get out. I wasn't feeling recognized. I wasn't feeling, um, like a belonging. Um, and I, so I do think it was the right time. Um, I also knew I wanted to pursue education. I wanted to give education another shot. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely the right time, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, well, especially I was actually, I actually got out early. I extended one year and then I ended up getting into school. So I got out early, but if I would have stayed on that uh, track, I would have been on my ship when it got uh, hit. I was on the USS Jonas McCain. So um, mm. I left a, a few months before it got hit and, and uh, killed 10 of, 10 of the guys that wow. are on the ship. So, wow. you know, someone was watching out, so I wouldn't have to go through that. Yeah. That's intense. Did you uh, did you know the folks that had uh, had had lost their lives? Yeah, I was I was pretty close with a few of them. Oh man, um, the other ones I, I obviously I knew. And, sure, um, it's a small boy. It's you know two hundred and fifty people, so um, I knew them you know well. Uh, but there's a few of them that I was really close to. So um, that's rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you you transition out, you go out and you go get a job. Right, you you kind of bounced around a couple of jobs, but uh, but you pretty much just went out to get a job, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I went and worked for the painting company I worked for before. Um, I was in, I was door to door sales before the Navy um, with the painting company, but then I went to project management um, just to be able to make sure I still had an income getting out. Because sure. um, like a, a, you know probably a lot of people um, in the military, financial literacy wasn't uh, instilled in my mind at the time. Um, and so I definitely needed some income. Uh, but then I, I, I did, I got a job and then I ended up transitioning to going into school and then changing my job to like a server. 
um, you know, at a restaurant uh, during that time. What What was your goal getting out and transitioning? I mean, you said you got into school. Did you know what you were going to focus on? Yeah, I actually wanted to focus on business. Um, so, well, first off, I wanted to just, I wanted to graduate. That was one of the biggest things I would be, I'm the, I would be the first person in my immediate family to graduate college, wow. to even go to college. So, um, that was one, that was actually probably the biggest driving factor. And the second was, yeah, education. So I, I was actually studying business. Uh, I studied international business for a little bit. I changed th- to, to three different schools. So I went to a community college and then two different private schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended my, my college career um, doing business management uh, for my undergrad, at least, not for my master's. And what was your experience there? Because I know that you weren't really thrilled about academic pursuits before the Navy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a, ch- I, I looked at it as I don't have a choice. Um, I was able to get through the military. I was able to get through the trials and tribulations that that had. And, and so I think I was just more so just work hard and study. Um, that's what I did in the military to get all my qualifications and get to the point that I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I saw results. So I knew I could do that again and see a result again. Um, it was, it wasn't easy though, <clears throat> because, you know, teachers are not as, I mean, at certain schools, teachers are not as helpful as, as, as people say they are. Um, and they're not as lenient as people may say they are. Um, there are many that are, but, uh, it, it definitely wasn't easy. When did you like get to the point where you're like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for something like real. I, I want to like a real business with a real return and a real salary. And like, what was that point? Yeah. Um, well, well, I mean, I think my, my entrepreneur journey is actually a little bit different. I joined our company when it already launched, it nice. was already launched. Um, and so, uh, I, I got reached out by one of my buddies who's also a military vet. Um, he was up at UC Berkeley, me and him were stationed together and he reached out to me and was like, Hey man, can you help me out for a month? Um, I know you've been in business development. I know that, you know, obviously I know your work ethic and like, I just want some help with uh, a part of my business real quick. Um, and the software was already built. It wasn't anywhere what it is now, but um, uh, already built and it was already launched at UC Berkeley. There was zero contracts though. Um, it was just more so launched it and gained users there. And uh, after a month, he asked me to come on as a co-founder and chief strategy officer. And since then, um, that was about a little bit over two years ago now. Wow. Um, okay. So, I, yeah, so I kind of just took the risk and took the plunge. And um, I, I loved working for that one month. And so I, I did stay at my day job for another three or four months Sure. Uh, while working both uh, just to make sure I'm, I'm huge on calculated risk and financial risk. Uh, um mitigation when it comes to entrepreneurship so um I, you know what i, yeah, so, I, have to, I, I as a, so i've been on both sides right i've been a founder i've been an investor i've had to explain both sides i i don't typically mind having a founder that has a side job or a day job you know i'm holding up air quotes uh it, i don't think that mm-hmm. matters anymore i i think you know as, as you're as you know, especially during the pandemic, right? I think you, exactly. you have to yeah. figure out how, what makes sense for you and for every founder, it's different. So, I mean, 
good for you to to be able to ease into entrepreneurship in a, in the way that you have. Um, you know, not being like the the founding team, but kind of jumping in and, and, and still being able to be early enough to be considered a founder. Do you think that changed your perspective or uh, do you feel like when you came in, you had enough influence to sort of, uh, you know, change the, the direction or, or focus it in a better way? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, it, it, I mean, actually it was, uh, it was, the the team itself was pretty much one person and then a bunch of interns. So I think I was still way early enough to be still built, obviously building from the ground up, but, um, you know, having just kind of a similar influence that, a, a somebody who was a co-founder who literally started it from idea all the way up. Um, so I think right. I still had that similar influence. Um, I, I would say though, I, I, I was the most, as we built the team bigger and bigger, I was the most uneducated person. Hmm. Um, so there was obviously some of that, that imposter syndrome and that strain going on. Um, but at the same time, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the influence that I had was good. And, and they also respected my, I mean, the, my, my co-founder and CEO, um, you know, respected my point of view. Um, he brought me on for a reason because I know sales and business development more than he does as he knows product and some of the other stuff more than I do. So what, what was it like to join a tech team to build out the solution, not having a tech background? I mean, I know you guys balanced each other really well, but did you have to, did you have to level up really quickly and learn a lot about, you know, the products speak in the tech world? Yeah. Um, well, my, uh, the CEO is also, he went to high school business, so he's also business minded, but he loves product stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and product management. Um, so we didn't actually have like a, a at the time, like a, a, a real CTO. Um, we do now, but yeah, I mean, as for my journey, I think, I think I really dug down into the basics of what we were doing and how we were solving a problem first in the sense of how I can, tr- how can I communicate that with others that I'm selling to or talking to about it? And then I think just throughout that journey, I, I learned more about kind of the technology behind it and what makes this thing work. Cause it's a, you know, it's a, there's a, it's a complex marketplace essentially. And so um, there's a lot of different stakeholders on it. There's a lot of different features that are growing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it just inherently happened because I would get a question from a, a user or I'd get a question from a potential client and I couldn't answer it. And so I'd say, Oh, I, I don't have that answer right now, but I'll email you in about 20 minutes with that answer. So let's talk about what the, no, it's okay. Cindy, I just, for the audience at home, let's explain what the business is. Can you kind of give Mm -hmm. your quick little spiel about what, what harness is and, and what it does? Yeah. So harness is a, uh, a, a white labeled solution for entrepreneur and innovation ecosystems to centralize communication, collaboration, um, knowledge sharing, uh, resource sharing, um, and, uh, and, and hiring, um, for the entrepreneur community. So think of it like an angel's list in a LinkedIn for exclusive communities, um, like universities, uh, governments, incubators, accelerators, and VC firms. Um, yeah. And, and so we are a, 
uh, when we, we launched the white label platform and, and it's closed to them, but um, every single platform that we have open, every user has the opportunity to be public um, to the rest of the harness network as well. Um, and our, all of our other partners. Got it. That makes sense. And how mm-hmm. did you identify yeah. who your customer is? Like how, how did you figure that out? And especially in those early days? Yeah. So we started within, um, within universities cause we saw a big disconnect with, um, the ecosystem being siloed and it being very top down. And so what I mean by that is that the administrators were making these decisions that were directly affecting the entrepreneur and their ability to be successful. Um, and that includes the entrepreneur's uh, inability to access the right programs that they should be in. So should I go to a launch program, an accelerator, an incubator, a workshop? Um, but then also on top of that, even more so, is the entrepreneur itself had no ability to find the right co-founder, to find the right interns, to find the right mentors and advisors. And so we saw that problem at UC Berkeley, which is one of the top entrepreneurship schools in the world. And so we kind of doubled down on that and then got some interest from Blackstone Launchpad program over at UC Berkeley and the UC system, and then really doubled down in the higher education realm. Um, and there's, there's, there, there are some other competitors out there too, that are trying to solve the problem in a, in a different way. Um, you know, for us, we're, I mean, we're taking contracts from them every couple months. Um, just because I think we are the only ones that are taking the bottom up approach where we're really servicing the entrepreneur. Cause at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones that are bringing in the capital, creating the jobs, um, you know, really building, um, an economic impact. Um, and so we, yeah, that, that was kind of the customer discovery there. And then what ended up happening, we always really wanted to get into incubators, accelerators, governments, because we also know that, uh, universities when it comes to raising funds is not a big enough market. Um, for a lot of VCs and, um, and obviously we wanted to accelerate, but we also wanted to really bring together a larger community. Um, and so COVID hit, COVID hit right around that time too, as we were trying to figure out kind of new markets as well. And that kind of allowed us to discover that this isn't a problem in the university sector only. This is a problem in every innovation entrepreneurship sector this disconnect, this inability to track data, this inability to um, service the entrepreneurs further um, in a more efficient, effective way. Um, and so that was kind of where it came from there. And, and after that, it's just, it's just networking and, and meeting people and, and creating value for people outside of your product so that they want to use their product and, and realize, oh, wow, this is something that we really need. Um, yeah. So I hope that answers the question. No, I, it, definitely, I, yeah. it definitely sounds like the product is a mix of community resource sharing. And then you, you've got your like fundraising aspect too, which is really interesting. And I'm, I haven't seen um, anything out there that combines the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it fits, it fits the need, I think for the, Entrepreneur, especially because entrepreneurship right now is, I mean, in general, let's look at the entrepreneur centers. They're growing 15 to 20% month, uh, year over year on the amount of centers happening um, over the past like four or five years. And so what that means is there's a lot more early, early on startups and like, you know, pre-seed or idea to seed stage startups mm-hmm. that 
are not getting getting the best opportunities and the most opportunities. And so we're really trying to help that um, that sector of, of, of startups. Oh, you're speaking my language. So, uh, you know, we're going to, we can go all day about this particular subject. I think what's interesting about that piece of it that you just described, uh, Bryce, is that in each ecosystem exist these communities for entrepreneurs. And I happen to, you know, um, proudly sit on Oregon Rain, which is the Regional Accelerator Innovation Network here in Oregon. And we focus in on the rural mm-hmm. communities and the startup ecosystems. And, and typically in those rural communities, those are the ecosystems that are left behind from the process of like Absolutely. meeting the metro area VCs or, you know, and COVID's helped to mm-hmm. sort of level the playing field, thankfully. But to your point, I think there are a lot of tools and a lot of things out there that aren't really meant to help. I've got an idea. How do I take it to here? How do I take that idea from this one customer to a hundred customers or there Mm -hmm. are, but they're not very impactful. So Mm -hmm. when you started to think about this as a, as a gap, how does harness fill that gap and, and help make those ecosystems better? Yeah. So I, I'm, yeah, this is this is like one of my favorite subjects. Uh, <laughs> so the the gap, one of the biggest gaps actually, is the people in these rural areas. Because we're say for instance, we're we're working with the government of Lethbridge, Alberta. They're very rural. They have a hundred thousand people. Um, you know, they're spread between a, a lot of area. Um, I mean, we're also working with programs in like the whole country of Somalia. So very intertwined with this rural aspect. Um, One of the biggest things is that people move from there to go to the Toronto's, to go to the Silicon Valley's, to go to the Seattle's or the Boston's because they think that's the talent with talent. That's where the money is. That's where the venture capital is. That's where um, all the resources that you need to start a company are. Um, And so if you can't afford or you can't, uh, you don't have the opportunity to move to these er areas, your startup idea fails and it goes away because there's not a lot of support, active support for these people, for these people in these rural areas um, that may have some even resource constraints. And so for us, one of our biggest things is saying, stay in your area, build your company there, sell your product and bring in capital, outside capital inside your local local economy um, through building your startup there. Um, you can hire people elsewhere. That's fine. That's not a big deal. Hire people also within your, your area, but don't move because you need talent. Don't move because you need money. Um, because at the end of the day, you're going, you're playing the exact same rat race that everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my perspective on it. Um, and, and some people disagree with it. Um, they say that, Oh, you need to go to Silicon Valley or all these other places. I, I disagree. Um, I don't live near Silicon Valley, so um, yeah. I mean, that's that's my perspective. It makes. Do you have any sense. interesting case stories to share about some of your clients, or mm-hmm. like somebody, some feedback that people have used um, your product and said, like this, this has literally grown my business. Like we would not be around if I didn't join Harness and didn't get connected, you know, with the resources we needed and the people that we needed to grow the business. 
Yeah, so we do, so we do have uh, so we have some cases on both um, the user side and the uh, the administrator side that like the play. We don't sell to users. We don't sell to entrepreneurs. We sell to program managers usually, or leads, or you know, B two B side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the administrator side, we decrease their time that they spend, you know, connecting people, giving people the right resources, um, you know, booking meetings for them, all that stuff. Um, by one to five hours a week, depending upon the organization. Um, also, because of our platform, say, for instance, in Berkeley, there's been o- almost a thousand jobs created in the last two years by startups. Um, and, and so, I mean, obviously, Berkeley is a different place. It's, you know, there's a lot of startup ecosystems and, and, and programs and stuff there. But even if we look at uh, Riverside, which is a Southern California Inland Empire area, there's been about 50 or 60 jobs created in less than a year um, from startups, just from the school. Um, and then for, for some of our users, yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had a lot of people, their biggest thing was they either were able to find the right co-founder because um, they weren't restricted by their local area or they weren't restricted by just their, their community Um or they were able to find the right interns or right employees that they would have never had access to before because of Harness, which is just an amazing thing. Cause as we all know, your team is the reason you are successful. Um, and so that's, that's been kind of the biggest use case and the biggest cases that we have from people. Um, you know, we are right now, we are really doubling down on trying to help the founder um, when it comes to accessing uh, not only fundraising, but more so accessing those tools of saying, all right, where's um, not, h- how do I fundraise, but how do I, uh, how do I get product market fit? How do I build my product for my DSH up? And so we're doing a lot of things, including, you know, events and, and some other um, uh, features as well to help that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we do have a kind of a list of, of, of successes as well. Um, from individuals. Bryce, uh, going back to your military background, what do you think you've taken away from your time in the military that's helped you in this journey? Yeah. Um, well, I think first off, uh, we wouldn't have been able to do this without the GI Bill, <laughs> in all honesty. I'm still yeah. a full-time student, and my, my, uh, my co-founder was a full-time student for a while. Nice. Uh, so that's allowed us to kind of grow it and, and hire the right people and, and not pay ourselves and pay them, which is that's one thing I guess I could take away from it. Um, but also along with that, we, there's, this, I, I, there's this idea that I, I, I got in the military and of just always having to just work hard or put in the most amount of hours. And, and that was what drove success. And as I was going through the military, I realized, no, there's this idea of being efficient and effective with your time. Um, instead of just saying, I need to work 14 or 15 hours in this day, because that's what, you know, that, that, that is what results in success. I started really understanding that, no, if you can actually uh, increase, obviously, your time management, but also understand tasking, understand what efficiency looks like for you as an individual. What does an hour of work look like for you to where you can have uh, uh, the most amount of output possible? And I think that really helped me in the military. Um, 
But then along with that too is I deal with a lot of higher education governments and everything like that. And that's very bureaucratic. And there's a lot of conversations. There's a lot of kind of just back and forth communication that I think the military really helped me with because I was always talking, I was always giving briefs to the captain. I was always talking to higher up officers because I was the supervisor and, you know, and that actually, I think really helped me um, feel comfortable in those conversations where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my twenties and I'm talking to people who are the head of like entrepreneur programs or head of like government entities. And I don't think without the military, I would have, I would have had that confidence or that know-how to communicate with them in an effective manner. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Wouldn't when you're thinking about the journey so far that you've gone through, what do you what have you taken away as far as lessons learned, things that you guys have screwed up and and you're just like we're not going to screw that up anymore, but what are what are some of the lessons that you've taken away so far? Uh yeah, just because you've done it one way and, or let's say for example, sales, cause I'll tell you, I'll tell you just kind of more of an anecdotal part is, um, just because you've been in sales for so long and you were, you know, I was working for a tech company house, uh, the company housed before, and I was a sales development rep on their strategy team and doing awesome, great work. Um, and I've always been in kind of sales roles outside of the military, but just cause I've been in sales roles doesn't mean I know sales. Um, and that, that, you know, kicked my butt because I came in saying, I'm going to do the same thing that I did at all these other places where, you know, obviously I was going to put my head down and, and work hard, but also for, for example, um, one of the big things was when you're in a startup, you don't have credibility. Like you can even say, yeah, I'm with Berkeley. I'm with all these big things. You still don't have credibility because if someone, no one's heard of you, they're going to say, okay, cool. You're with these other places, but I don't know if I trust you. And so me not thinking about that was like, well, I'm going to spend, you know, an obnoxious amount of time building out a bunch of leads. So I built out 10,000 leads and I said, okay, here you go. I, I spent a lot of time sending out all these emails to every single one of them. Um, and at the end of the day, I got two responses and that was such a waste of my time mm-hmm. in a really detrimental point yeah. in, in, in our company um, really early on. And what I learned from that was that, oh my goodness, like we're not, we're a startup company. You need to do something different. And so I made a big pivot. Um, and I mean, it, this was at a point where the founding team and all the team came together and was like, Bryce, are you the right person for the position? Cause we need to make sales. And I'm just like, uh, and, and none of them actually remember that conversation. Pressure. Um, but I do, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, total pressure. I, I talked to my, yeah, I talked to my CEO about it and, and I'm like, you remember this conversation? He's like, no, nah, I don't even remember saying that to you. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, well, I do. Um, <laughs> but we did, a, I did a big pivot and I said, all right, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to scratch everything that I've learned and go back to basics. And what do, at the end of the day, what do people really like? Okay. Two things. They like talking about themselves and they love being, they love connecting and having that more interpersonal part. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to, my goal is to build relationships as much as possible. I know I can do that. And then, you know, it's worked out really well. Um, And so that was kind of that, uh, you know, that early on journey and and those, those kind of bigger mistakes were, and that was just one of many. 
of me thinking, oh, I know sales, so therefore I, I can sell this or I can, you know, my strategy is the best strategy. Um, well, Bryce, two years ago, you're wrong. So <laughs> I think every startup founder has gone through that. You know, you, you get to um, a wall and then you realize that you need to think creatively and think of solutions outside of the box because every startup is different. Every concept is different. And you know, you've got team dynamics and and pandemic and like all of these other factors that roll into play and being able to pivot and think creatively is one of the key traits that I find that has helped a lot of founders, almost every founder. Um, but if I could ask you, mm-hmm. where do you see your vision for Harness in the next five to 10 years? What would be the main points? We want to impact 1 billion people. Wow. That's the main point. I want to get 1 billion people um, connected, access to entrepreneurship, access to a greater sense of equity and uh, having it truly make an uh, entrepreneurship to have a true economic impact, not only in the United States, but around the world. That's awesome. Nice. I love that it's so targeted. Like you guys have a, a target, you put it on the wall and that's that's where you're driving to. Where can people find you online, Bryce? <laughs> Uh, yeah, they can go to uh, joinharness.com um, or they can find us at uh, our handle for, I think, everything, um, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, all that is at joinharness.com. Uh, or you can just look me up on on LinkedIn and Twitter, um, Bryce Reich, B-R-Y-C-E-R-E-I-C-H. I love it. Bryce, thank you so much for coming on the the show and and uh, telling your story and and best of luck. And if if there's anything we could be doing to be helpful, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Cynthia and, and Josh. I really appreciate your time and um, inviting me to this. And uh, I'm, I'm, makes me even more excited to move up to you know Portland area and be more connected with people like yourself. Yeah, when you get up here, let's uh, let's do the Portland thing and go grab coffee. One hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Cynthia, have a great week. Uh, Everybody, have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every week at uh, 1 p.m. Friday Pacific. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.